Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo, how are you all? It's good to be back. We've been gone three whole Sundays. I feel like uh, a backslider. But um, we did have fun, even though we were backslidden on vacation. Uh, we spent some time in central Oregon, and then we went to the, back to the Oregon coast, one of our favorite places. We haven't been for several years because of issues, you know, those kind of pandemic issues. But we finally were back and had the whole family, uh, 15 of us, including four grandkids. And so we just, we just had a blast. And what was fun is watching them have a blast. Uh, what was unique about it was that two of our grandkids are new to us. My son was just recently married, and he has now three stepsons, so we have three step-grandchildren, and two of them joined us and had not really been to the beach, so it was so fun to watch them just run and get cold and swim and shiver and, get, and dig in the sand and do all the things that you do at the Oregon coast, and we had, actually had pretty good weather for the week, so um, obviously I'm not uh, Pastor Mark, my name is Doug Mallott, and I'm on the pastoral team here. Um, and in just a moment, we're going to get to our message. I have a couple of passages I'd like to have us read together in, in just a moment. But um, let me just preface my, my message today by saying this. Every once in a while, everybody needs a father to speak into their lives. Father figure, a father, father in the Lord. I feel like I'm one of several few probably fathers in this house. And so I'm going to be sharing kind of a father-son, father-daughter, father-church kind of a message today. Pastor Mark uh, contacted me. I think it was um, getting back at me for being gone three weeks. But uh, he said, oh, by the way, Pastor Doug, I forgot to ask you whether you could preach on the 31st. And I said, well, no, I'm busy. No, I, I can do that. So I asked him if he wanted me to do anything with John. He said, no, he's got a lot to do with John. <laughs> and he's in the middle of in the, being in the middle of being in the middle of something, you know, in, in the book of John. So um, we'll leave that to him. But he said, I'd like you to just speak, share whatever's on your heart. And so I thought for a moment and prayed, said, Lord, what is it really that's kind of on my heart? I mean, I could uh, flip through the scriptures and stick my finger in a Bible verse and say, let's tear that apart and learn from it. But what came to my mind may appear to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's not intended to be at all. And that is that I think we need to hear something today 
about how easy it is in our culture to be spoiled Christians. So before we get to our slides, let me see if I can't touch the control pad here. And I brought my, my, note, my own notes, so if it doesn't work. Of course, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing. So anyway, um, oh, I'm showing it here. It's not showing there. Can you just go to the first slide? Thank you, Stephen. Stephen was one of those family members that enjoyed the beach this year with us. Yep. <laughs> I didn't prompt that. That was right on cue. Good job. All right, why don't you do this? Why don't you stand with me like we do here? Uh, it's not really a tradition, but out of respect for the Scripture and the fact that we believe it is inspired by the breath of God. And we're not just reading historical information. We're reading something that the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us today. So we're going to read. Uh, I'll read. You can follow along. Maybe you have your Bible. I put it up here so those of you that don't have Bibles or don't have my version, Mark kind of gives me a little bit of a hard time. I like the Holman Christian Standard Version, even though they already have updated it. And I like this one better. But anyway, um, let me read this. And then we're going to go to First uh, Corinthians chapter 3 and read a second passage. And then we will pray, and then we will let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do. All right? Let's read this together. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Paul writes, or I think it's Paul, but the writer to the Hebrews says this. We have a great deal to say about this. He's talking about Jesus and the priestly order and Melchizedek and a lot of deep things. But he says, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. And you need milk now and not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. We could say literally, he's just still a baby. Verse 14, and solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Let's go to the next one. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 6. Then we'll pray. You can be seated. We're going to go back to those passages and just look at a couple of key uh, uh, verses, I mean, key words. Anyway, Paul is writing to this Corinthian church. He says, brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you are not able to, you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you are still fleshly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and living like unbelievers? For whenever someone says, 
I am with Paul. And another says, I am with Apollos. Are you not unspiritual people? What then is Apollos? And what or who is Paul? They are just simply servants through whom you believe. And each has the role the Lord has given them. I planted Apollo, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Let's pray together. Father, we submit all of this to you. We trust you to work through the Holy Spirit to speak whatever needs to be spoken to each one of us. That's the beauty of being in a situation like this. You know what we need. You know how to make it real. You know how to apply it. We just ask you to help us keep our minds open, our hearts, the the ground of our hearts plowed enough to receive what you want for us today. And so we submit this to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Have a seat. Why don't you turn to the person on your right and say, don't be a spoiled Christian. (laughs) What I want to do today is is look at a little bit to, um, to try to take some stock this is our subtitle here, to take stock of the constant pressure that's on us to believe that we are entitled. And I've watched this happen over the years. I've been a Christian for many years, been in ministry for many, many years. And I've watched movements and emphasis, even in the body of Christ, that I felt like ended up teaching Christians to be entitled, to feel too deserving. Now, I realize Mark's been hammering on the truth of our abiding and our complete uh, security in Christ, and I don't want to take anything away from that because that is absolutely true. But it can be taken too far where you feel deserving of special treatment. I think that's happening in our culture all around us. I think you turn the television on and they're trying to convince you to buy the bigger car, the bigger house, the bigger this, the better that. As we were um, raising our children, we did the unthinkable. We did not have a television. Our kids still poke fun at us. We didn't have a television, you know. Yeah, but look at you. You've grown up to be really great kids. Now, we did borrow a TV once in a while to watch special events, and eventually we got a television, and we have one now, and we watch it and so on. But one of the things that we wanted to do as parents raising four children was to make sure that they grew up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Holy Spirit and a relationship with Jesus and not be feel like they were entitled Christians or entitled people. Here would be my definition of being spoiled by entitlement. This would be a combination of some definitions I found, and I added some things, and so I can't take full credit for this, although I think it's good. Entitlement is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges 
or special treatment. It is the feeling that you have the right to do or to have what you want without really working for it. Entitlement places you at the center of the universe and demands that everyone or everything spend their time taking care of you. Now, let's go back to that first slide. I want to go back to the Hebrew passage, if you can go back to that. Thank you, Stephen. Um, The writer here is not mincing his words. My translation says, you have become too lazy in your understanding. Now, I don't know, nobody really knows completely what was going on with these Christians. Uh, Commentators that study the Bible tell us that they probably were being pressured by Judaizers and people who were trying to push them back into the law emphasis and, and Hebrew tradition. Uh, some say that maybe the, the, the majority of the believers were, were Hebrews or, or Jewish converts, thus the name Hebrews. Those things don't matter. Paul is writing, I believe, the writer, I will say this to the Hebrews, is, is writing and explaining how all of that Old Testament symbolism really is pointing to New Testament spiritual reality. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of all this, in verse, this, this chapter, chapter 5, he says, you know, we really discovered we really couldn't explain very much of this to you. And he doesn't say because you were ignorant or because you had learning disabilities or because we couldn't make it clear enough or because there weren't enough people around. He didn't, those weren't the excuses. Somehow something is going on in the heart of these believers that has dulled their ability to understand. The word there in the Greek for what, what my translation says is lazy really means to be dull, to be slow. And we're not talking about physical issues. We're talking about spiritual issues inability to comprehend. And it sounds to me like this could encompass Christians who had become lazy because they were feeling so entitled to their blessings. It's one thing to enjoy your blessings. It's another thing to feel entitled to your blessings. Then down in verse 13, he says... um, Everyone who has milk is inexperienced with the, with the message of, of righteousness because he's still an infant, still a baby. And I was just thinking about this. He's writing to mature, well, not, mature, not spiritually mature, but physically mature men and women. Maybe some children were involved in this. But in his mind, as he's writing this, he's seeing adults who are acting like babies. That's my interpretation. You could see it some other way, but I think that's certainly allowable in the text that adults acting like babies. Then to 1 Corinthians, the next passage, Stephen, on the screen. He actually uses, my translation uses the word babies in Christ, and he's not talking to a youth group He's talking to adult people in this church who were, for whatever reason, 
still fleshly, still motivated by carnal and fleshly desires and motivations and so on. He calls them babies. Notice he says you are still fleshly. And the reason he could say that is because he had received reports that there was strife and there was envy and there was envy and there was competition and, and the church was dividing and they had their favorite apostles and their favorite teachers and their favorite preachers and so they would show up on Wednesday night if Apollos was there and they would show up on, on Sunday morning if Paul was there but if anybody else was there they, that wasn't their thing apparently. And, and, and Paul is so gracious here he's straightforward and clear and rebukes them but says you know it's not about the person, it's about who's doing the work through them. And so one waters, one plants, but in the, in the final analysis, everyone should be looking to Jesus because he is the one God is giving the growth. Back at that Hebrews passage, I have a little note here that I uh, forgot to mention this. Uh, the writer says, although at this time you ought to be teachers, and I was thinking about believers in the first century, apparently Hebrews was written kind of halfway through or in the latter half of the first 100 years of, of the early church. Um, and I'm thinking, I wonder how many Bibles these believers had and how many concordances and lexicons and, and uh, how many um, podcasts of their favorite teachers they could listen to during the week. None! Nothing! They didn't have, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have, they had a few letters. Paul and other apostles would share their, their letters that they would write, and they eventually collected those, and that became our New Testament. Probably at some point here, we maybe would have had a gospel. The gospels weren't even written until about 60, 50, 60, 70 AD, later than that in some cases. So they didn't even have gospels to read. And yet Paul says to them, you've been Christians long enough that you should be teaching the people around you. And I thought to myself, if that's true then, my gosh, is it true today? I mean, you can go in my office and see all the, the, the whole two shelves full of Bibles and commentaries and things that we use, and we love to use those. I still use them. I use them in, in prep, preparation for this. But the point I'm making is that it's, it's easy to be kind of spoiled with all the goodness and all the blessing and all the addition. And the world wants to pressure us to feel entitled and there's even so many good things in the kingdom that if we're not careful, we can adopt an entitlement attitude even about the blessings of living free from sin and walking wonderfully free in the, in the, in the spirit with Jesus. Now, as I always do, in order to make sure you get the point, I have lots of points. Um, and so we're going to go to that first screen that says spoiled checklist. Um, they're all going to come up here, but we're going to just go through them one at a time. And this is designed 
to give the Holy Spirit some material to bring conviction to us if we need it. If we don't need it, please don't take it. But I know as I was reading through this and, and thinking through some of these things that, that I put down here and, and some I found you know, with, through Christian authors, others just kind of came to my mind. I'm thinking, oh, I, this is kind of convicting. And I hope that is the case if it's needed. Let's do number one. Here's a spoiled checklist. Just questions to ask yourself about how you view the world and view the kingdom and view your place you know, in, in the purposes of God. Do I often feel discontented with, I, with what I possess or think I need? Oh, I just need more of this and more of that. Or uh, I got this and it wasn't big enough. And what about do I feel envy or resentment over the blessings and successes that, seem, that others seem to experience? Do we envy the, the Jeff Bezos of the world? Oh, wow, if I had that kind of money. Now don't, I know you've thought that. <laughs> when you looked at him or, or Elon, Elon Musk or, uh, they're the new ones. The old one was uh, the, the um, Microsoft people. I can't think of his name. Bill Gates. They're kind of the old school billionaires. Now we have the new school billionaires. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I think we all think, ah. Oh. Am I frequently disappointed with life and how it seems to be treating me? Do I question God's faithfulness in providing for me? Do I often unfavorably compare myself and my situation with what others, with that of others? That, I think, is a big one. You're going through something, maybe it's a hard time, and people around you are just having a great time. You know? They're getting blessed, and they've made some extra money, and you're not getting blessed, and you can't even find a job or whatever. Don't let an entitlement attitude creep in at a time like that. Does discontentment make me manipulate people or other thing or things? I've been there where you just you just are so tempted to make something work and call somebody and do something and because you're just what you've got isn't enough or you're dissatisfied and if I could just you know, find someone who would advocate for me or whatever. Next one. Here's a good one. Is my conversation dominated by I need or I want or rather than I trust? Do I dislike hearing no when expressing my wants? If you're raising kids, you, you know all about that. We raised four of them. I was thinking about some of the things we did to help our kids grow and not be slothful, not be spoiled. So, you know, I, we had a, a chore list and everybody was signed up to do chores. It was on the wall. They could read it themselves. But then we would have family meetings and dad would say, you know, guys, we are not doing very good on some of these. Oh, yeah, well, so-and-so, now hold it. 
We all agreed. Let's get back to it. All right, and they double, double up, double their efforts. One of the things that um, my wife did, bless her heart, she decided that our kids, when they turned 13, they could do their own wash. So we told them when they were 12 and when they were 11, the day is coming when you will get to do your own wash. And they went, yeah, yeah really? Yeah, oh, that's exciting. No, it's not so much, you know. <laughs> sure enough, they turned 13 and they took a trip to the laundry room and mom showed them how to run the washer and the dryer, how to do their clothes. And I made one observation, and that was that my two daughters would separate color, whites, my two sons, just threw them all in. Yeah, but they all got washed, and they did it themselves. One of the, just one of the things we tried to do to help them learn to be responsible along the way and not end up going out in the world feeling like the world owed them everything or the kingdom owed them everything. Is thank you not a frequent part of your conversations? It should be. Thank you to people. Thank you to God. Thank you even. One of the things we, one of the, the conversations we'll have around the office here sometime is when we're watching the things our government does. And you just, sometimes you just shake your head. But I'm teaching myself and I'm encouraging people around me to even say thank you for our government and the people who are leading us and who are making decisions for us, even though I don't agree with some of those decisions and, and so on. Say thank you. Learn thankfulness. Two more and then we're going to go on. Is my disappointment obvious when I get the gifts I, when I don't get the gifts I really wanted? We've watched this with our kids. You know, they wanted certain gifts and we weren't going to never buy something that, like that. But we would try to get a reasonable facsimile, you know, and something that was close. And bless their hearts, they would go, oh, thank you, mom and dad. <laughs> but you could see the disappointment that they didn't get the authentic, original thing. And then sometimes we dipped into our pockets and paid the extra to, give, to bless them and, get, and got them the, the authentic things they wanted. But being spoiled can show itself in that. You get some, someone that's bought something and they've spent their money and they've given it to you and you, that's not really what you wanted, so you're kind of depressed. Lastly, do I really care when my demands inconvenience other people? This is one of the things we tried to talk to our kids about. It wasn't just that them in the, in the family, all of us were connected. And so if they had issues and weren't doing what they should, everybody else is going to pay, you know, pay for their issues sometimes. And so selfishness and entitlement just does what it wants to many times, doesn't care what happens to the people around them. But that's not the spirit of Christ. Now, let's move to a little more positive things. We are going to finish with um, 
how to break this spoiled thing. But I would like to, without going to the passages, because there are two of them and it would take more time, I'd like to um, have us just talk through the story of the centurion. It's both in Matthew and in Luke, and if you read both passages, they're very similar, except that uh, I think it's Matthew where you find the centurion actually going out to meet Jesus and saying, don't come to my house. But Luke, it, uh, Luke sees him sending Jewish leaders out to appeal to Jesus to come to his house, and then Jesus, or, or the centurion sends friends to tell Jesus, don't come, you're, you're not, I'm not worthy to have you into my home. All you have to do, he says, is speak the word. Now, if you look at both of those passages, you will find that Jesus is absolutely stunned by this centurion's faith. We would look at that and say, what? This is Jesus. Go out and meet him. Shake hands and invite him in. But something in him felt so humbled by the fact that Jesus might actually come to his house that he didn't even want him to come. And Jesus sees this and says to the people around him, I think Matthew and, and Luke, maybe you, one uses the word amazed, maybe the other one uses a different word, but the idea was that Jesus is absolutely stunned by this. And he says of this centurion, there isn't anybody I've actually encountered in all of Israel that has faith like this. This is a Roman captain. He is in control of at least 100 soldiers, probably in charge of security and policing around the Capernaum area and maybe beyond that. And he must have some respect for the Jewish religion because he has paid for a synagogue and, and the Jewish leaders are impressed with him. But even with all of that, this is a man who could have easily used his entitlement, his position. He could have demanded that Jesus come and heal his servant. He could have gone out with on horses and with guards to Jesus and said, you're going to come with me. But this man... And this is one of the, the wonderful mysteries of the Bible. We don't really know a lot about him, but we know that he was a humble man, obviously, and recognized that in, in the world that Jesus worked, Jesus was the man of authority. Just like in the world that he worked, in the military and in policing and so on, he was a man of authority. And so he said to Jesus, all you have to do, just like I, I sit here in my cush little house and say, you servant or you guard, you go do that, and they do it. And if they don't, they get in trouble. In the same way, I know that you could just simply speak the word. You don't have to come to my house. I'd be embarrassed to have you come to my house. But I respect your authority. Would you just speak the word? And that's what Jesus did. Jesus could have said, you know, I'm coming anyway. No, he respected this man. He was impressed. He was stunned. Actually, he was amazed by this man's faith. Jesus interpreted what he did as faith. A humble faith. A dependent faith. I mean, this is, we don't know whether he had any inkling at all about 
Whether Jesus was the Messiah or not, we don't know. We just know that he had heard stories and he thought to himself, if this Jesus can heal this person, perhaps he could come and heal my servant. And I thought to myself, you know, this, was, this speaks highly of this man that he actually loved a servant. He didn't have to love anybody who served in his house, but apparently he was soft-hearted enough to have some empathy for this servant that he uh, was dear to him. And so with all that he could have exercised in terms of his own entitlement, he simply laid it aside, humbled himself, and said, Jesus, just speak the word, and that'll be enough for me. He speaks the word, and then the friends run back to his house. When they finally, when the, it doesn't say Jesus arrived, but when the friends finally arrived, when they got there, the servant was already healed. I mean, the word, I don't know how that works, but he was healed. Now, let's turn to uh, Colossians. If you have your Bibles, I think I have a screen up, yeah, a passage. I want to read through this. I don't want to make a lot of, there's so much in this, um, but I want to just pull out a few words. And then as we begin to close, I'm going to give you five bullet points that will help us spoil this spoiled attitude. Let's just spoil it. Let's spoil the spoiler. Colossians 3, verses 12, 17. Jesus, or Paul is writing and he's giving general instructions to the Colossian church. Just before he starts talking specifically to wives and husbands and kids, he's giving general instruction to all the believers. He says this, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah... Dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom and, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We'll put up that last, I think that's the last screen. And then we'll just touch on these five points. I think this, as I was praying about it and, and putting together all of these thoughts and really wanted just to offer this challenge. I'm not trying to convict anybody if the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. It doesn't work. But I think there are some things here for the general body of Christ for us to learn and certainly as we face the pressures that the culture around us wants to put on us. Um, but to break this cycle of spoiledness or entitlement, these are the things I think we need to do. Number one, we must repent of the pride that fuels entitlement. As we raised our kids, we realized they were just proud individuals. 
like all of us. And they think they deserve their own way, like all of us. And we also realize that probably not until the point that they actually got saved would they have any inner motivation to actually be different. So we tried to to coach them and lead them, not make them, but lead them into places where they could make decisions for Jesus themselves. And they all did that, all four of them at different times. But at the heart of entitlement, at least in my opinion, is this root of pride. And if you want to break entitlements back, if you want to to stop the cycle of, of feeling privileged and spoiled, just simply repent of the pride that's fueling it. Number two, never forgetting how lost we were in our rebellion against God. I'm reading a book right now uh, by Randy Alcorn called uh, If God is Good. Um, how do you deal with evil and suffering in the world if God is good? And it's, it's pretty heavy, pretty deep. Uh, I like a lot of Randy's uh, Alcorn stuff, but this is pretty theological and you got to read and reread and reread. But one of the things he points out when it comes to this whole issue of evil and suffering is that we really do not clearly see how lost we were. And so therefore, we don't really see how wonderful, how, how miraculous the salvation of Jesus was for us. Remember when Jesus says to the Pharisees where they uh, were meeting and this woman came in and started weeping and washing uh, his feet, um, he asked his question about forgiveness. Do you think, you know, she has been forgiven much or a little? Well, she's acting like she's been forgiven a lot. Yeah, that's the whole idea. That's my paraphrase of the story. But here's what happens. We think we weren't so bad, well, then that makes Jesus sort of a good savior. If we were not as lost as the next person, then he's, all of a sudden it qualifies his ability to save everybody. You know, he more saves me and not so much them. When the Bible talks about our sinful condition, it says we are lost, we're enemies, we're bound for hell without the saving grace of Jesus to work in our life, we are doomed and at some point we'll burn in hell with the devil and all of his angels. Do we have to talk about that? Well, once in a while I think it's good to remember where we've come from. And if you don't believe me, just get your Bible out and start studying what sin really was. I think Mark pointed this out. It's not just missing the mark. It's just being, it's just missing altogether. I mean, you're not even hitting the bullseye. In fact, you can't even handle the bow and arrow when it comes to the, the, the lostness that we experienced prior to Jesus. Now, um, I had to kind of work through some of that in my life because I grew up with a Christian in a Christian home. My parents 
uh, were in church from the day they got saved. And I was just thinking this morning when, when George was talking about the Holy Spirit moving, I, I grew up in the day where we, where we had Holy Ghost meetings. My mom's grandmother took her as a baby to Methodist uh, camp meetings where they had sawdust and people literally rolled around in the sawdust. So I grew up in this Christian home. I mean, I didn't, uh, I didn't do drugs. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't do any of those things that we would think, oh, that, that really qualifies you as being a really bad sinner. And the Bible says all you have to do is just be born to be a really bad sinner because we're born into sin. We're born into the rebellion that came out of the garden and it doesn't matter how good or how little or how much. Prior to the cross, everyone is just as lost as the other person. And so we can never forget how lost we were in our rebellion. I, at some point, I think it was in my high school years, I began to realize the, the, the position of my lostness, not the practice of my lostness. Because I wasn't practicing things that, that other people would qualify as being things that would make you lost. I was in the youth group. Ended up being a leader in the youth group. But as I started leading and started realizing I need to study the Bible and find out what God really has for all of this, and if I'm going to be a leader, I started realizing that all of my lack of sinful practice didn't make me any better of a sinner than anybody else. And as I learned it, tried to receive it and practice it, Suddenly, the salvation of Jesus got better. It just looked good. It felt better. It had depth to it. Pretty soon it was like, this is an amazing thing. Even though I had not been, you know, like Paul, maybe the worst of sinners in terms of practice, Number three there, the third bullet point, seeing the grace and mercy of God as the gospel miracle that rescued us. Don't ever, don't ever start feeling deserving. Now, I know that, you know, we can kind of fudge on some of that and, 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 and start feeling bad about ourselves. And I'm not asking you to feel bad about yourself. You're a child of God. You're redeemed. And, and, and God is using you. The Holy Spirit's in, indwelled you. But please, don't forget of how much of a miracle it was for God's grace and mercy to rescue you from sin. The last two... Expressing gratitude as your primary spiritual discipline. I want to challenge you. We, we think of spiritual disciplines like reading my Bible every day, and if I can read more verses every day, I can get more of the Bible read through the year. Uh, quite honestly, I've just stopped doing that. 
Um, that doesn't, I hope that doesn't disappoint people here, but I do have a Bible app that gives me some fresh scripture every day that I read and meditate on. But, you know, when I was, you know, leading the church, I just felt driven to just all, you know, and fast and pray. I'll never forget the time I went to a pastor's luncheon and happened to mention to the man who was leading the group, who was the pastor of First Assembly, that I had missed the last luncheon because I'd been away fasting and praying for the, our church. What? Are you kidding? That's amazing. And he announced to the whole luncheon <laughs> that this young pastor was practicing fasting and prayer. And I just, that was the last time I told him things like that. <laughs> you know, I don't need those kind of announcements at our luncheons. But I mean, I, those are the disciplines that, that we think of, you know, praying uh, regularly and, uh, and, and witnessing and reading our Bible and so on. I want to suggest to you, as I saw here in this Colossians passage, other places as well, that one of the best spiritual disciplines to practice every single day is the discipline of gratitude. Don't let a single day go by that you don't see something, find something that you're grateful for. And then express it. Say something about it. Maybe it's just to God or maybe it's to your friend or your or your family. So, repenting of the pride that fuels entitlement. Never forgetting how lost we really were in our rebellion. Seeing the grace and mercy of God as the true gospel miracle that it was that he rescued us. Expressing gratitude as a primary spiritual discipline. And then lastly, make trusting God with your needs and your wants your daily goal. When the world's blaring at you about all the things you need, all the things that you could have, and all the things that other people have, and they, 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 the pressure is on, practice trusting. I, my, my family will attest to this. I'm sitting watching TV, and these ads come up, and I say, no, thank you. I'm trusting God for that. I don't need whatever it is. Now, I... Please, understand what I'm saying. It's nice to have a new car and, and you know, it's to hear about the latest drugs available for conditions and all of that stuff. <laughs> you know, we grew up in the day when none of that was on TV. I mean, Patty and I have shaken our head a few times. That's what they're advertising for medical concerns and so on. But... Um, that's kind of off the beaten path here. But the idea is, and I, I've, even with our family, we'll be discussing things we need and so on. Well, we always bring it back to a statement of trust. I may want that, and I may feel like I need that, but in the, the grand scheme of who's in charge here, it's up to God to give me what I need. So what do you do? You trust him. You just trust him. And sometimes, as I was talking with a, a gal this morning, sometimes you've got to speak to yourself. Sometimes you've got to kick yourself in the pants. Sometimes you've got to actually just speak into the air. I'm trusting in spite of what's happening around me. 
or you speak to your own heart. I'm trusting in spite of that long-lived desire to have that expensive thing. That if I get it, I'll be in debt for 10 years or 30 years or whatever. Now, there are some, maybe some things you can get and maybe need to be in debt for a while, earn some good credit, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, <laughs> I think you catch my drift. As they say now, are you feeling me? Are you feeling me? Turn to someone quickly and say, don't be a spoiled Christian. And if I could say this as we close, don't let the world spoil you, but don't even let Christians try to spoil you. Please. Somehow I think, I, I mean, I went through a whole movement, the faith movement, and the, we call it the blab it and grab it movement, where they, they taught you that if you, if you wanted it, probably God wanted you to have it, so you just claim it. Well, I went through that and found that sometimes you can claim it. Sometimes you can't claim it. But when you are committed to trusting the one who lays claim to all of that, then you know he'll get you what you need when you need it. God's never late, but he's ne never really early sometimes either. You know, <laughs> he's just... He's just consistently on time. He's consistently true to his own nature. And so for us, we just simply need to make trusting our daily goal. If you are parents raising children, practice that. Your children need to hear you say, we're trusting God today. We don't have enough food, but we're going to trust God to feed us. My, my parents did that. I don't remember ever not having food, but they tell me stories where if the box of food had not shown up on their front porch, they wouldn't have eaten for a couple of days. Because my dad, my mom was not working, and she's raising three kids, and my dad's trying to work and get established back in those early days, and then he got sick, and he was actually uh, electrocuted, almost killed by, by cutting into... 250,000 watt line or something burned him badly. And so, uh, but I don't ever remember not having enough to eat. But my parents said they prayed it in sometime. They just trusted God. And, and sometimes they knew who it was, but a lot of times they had no clue. Go to the door, hear someone knock, go to the door, and there's three or four boxes of groceries. And that was there for us. Do that. For your kids. Do that for your people you work with. You practice the trusting and, and the, the outward uh, positioning of your life to receive from God when he needs you to have it. Let's close in prayer. We'll get the worship team back up here. Um, Maybe you will hold off on prayer. I, that's just kind of an old custom I used to do. We finish our preaching, I would close in prayer. Let's just wait. We're going to have our response like we do here uh, regularly. Um, and here's how I want to respond. If you are visiting today and you didn't expect this, I am so sorry. But 
Sometimes, all of us sometimes need a father to just speak some of these issues and challenges. And you can appeal to the Holy Spirit. He will confirm this or he'll deny it. He can do that. And I'm not, I didn't prepare this really with this church in mind. I just kind of watched the body of Christ and watch our culture over the last a few years. And um, that was the concern that was on my spirit. This is the way I presented it. We'll um, be closing here. What I want you to do is just simply be bold enough to question the Holy Spirit. Does any of this apply to me? That one? Oh, maybe that one. Okay. Well, then I repent. I don't want any pride. I don't want any entitlement to be part of my Christian experience. I want to live in the freedom of just trusting you to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. You'll take care of my wants. You'll take care of my needs. What I have found is God takes care of them even though we don't have them on a list. How did you know that? Well, he's God. He, He knew that. So if we would stand now, I think we'll move into our response. As we do here at Sozo, we have communion. Uh, These are open for those who are believers. If you are not a believer, you can make that happen right now. You can just simply say yes to Jesus right where you're standing. You can start the whole process of finding acceptance and love in the body of Christ and then walking with Jesus. You can do that right now while we're praying. And you can come up and take part in that. And we will have people that are going to be back in that uh, wing by the cross if you want someone to pray with you. But I really think all of us need to just do some business right now before God. I've been, as I've been working through this all week, I've been doing some business. Every time I would go through those points, I would go, oh, ouch, oh, my. That wasn't, I, I got to do that different next time. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what only you can do, and that is to speak truth to our hearts. And I ask you to affirm where it's needed, convict where it's needed. But in all of that, help us to be more aware of the pressures that are around us, both in and outside our lives in the church. Teach us to live just so abandonedly to you because you have our best in mind. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can, you're welcome to come up if you'd like to as the worship team. Thank you.